Now, we have come to the end of the year, and few more days, we are going to start a new decade, in a sense. Huh? Somebody sent me a message that says, you know, whatever you want to do, enjoy last few days of being in the teens. 2019, <laughs> 2018, 17. After that, no more teen. <laughs> All right? It is 2021, 22. All right? So, well, maybe some of you here might have been thinking, okay, the new year is coming. What can I do that is different next year that will make a greater difference in my life and the people around me. Maybe some of you have been thinking about some resolutions that you want to make, you know. Eat more healthy food, exercise a bit more, study harder for those who are still in school, start a new job or career <laughs> before it's too late, <laughs> right? Do something new. But whatever resolution you plan to make, I believe most of those resolutions will have to do with the use of our time. And what I learned early this year, which was quite significant, is that most of the time, we make too many resolutions, not too few. You know, we want to do this, do that, do that, do that, do that, and then after one week or two weeks, <laughs> we run out of energy because <laughs> life is busy. And then we get discouraged and we drop all the resolutions <laughs> and we wait until the next year to start thinking about it. So what I learned was that if we want to really make significant changes in our lives, we need to do just a little at a time. That means make, if possible, just one change. Just one major change in your life, one year, that's all. Just, just keep that up. And then at the end of the year, you evaluate, and next year you can add one more new change, a new habit. And that way, we can experience a lot more change in our lives in terms of consistency. So maybe you can try that, right? This, this year, I... I made one resolution, right? And that resolution has really made a difference, you know, in my life, you know, right, right through. And I can, I can see, you know, that it has helped me become more focused. And the next year, I'm, I want to make one more resolution, that is, add one more habit. And if you hear what I say, you might laugh. And that is, I want to make sure my desk is clear of stuff, Okay. All right. Now, now that you've heard it, you can come and check. Okay. All right. Pastor Lydia is not here. She would love to hear this. Okay. She was telling me that night, you know, it's like, you, your desk is so dirty, you know, so many stuff lying around in, in your office as well, you know. So I, I was thinking that, that night, you know, all right, uh, tomorrow morning I'll start clearing up. Okay. But wait, wait, 2020 is coming. <laughs> so uh, that will be uh, a new habit that I will add uh, this year. And by the way, if you tell other people what you intend to do, then they can help you keep you accountable too, okay? Because it will not just be something you promise yourself, but uh, someone who's close to you can ask you, hey, how are you doing, you know, in that new habit that you wanted to keep? All right. So, most of the habits that we want to make or, or changes we want to, to make in our lives will have to do with how we use our lives and how we use our time. And time is life. Because if you use your time, you're using up part of your life. And God led me to this passage, this Psalm, as we come to the end of the year, so open your Bibles to Psalm 9-0. As we are still in the season of the Psalm, I don't know how many more weeks we'll go, maybe one more. Depends on how many uh, the Lord, you know, gives. 
So Psalm 90, as you turn to it, let me just give you some background. It says it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now, Moses is a very special character in the Bible, and he is honored not only by the Christians, but by the Jews, and by the Muslims as well, as a prophet. So you could say that more than half the people of the world look at this man as a very important person. Now, Moses grew up in the palace of the most powerful man in the world at that time, and that's Pharaoh. And he was raised as a grandson of Pharaoh, so he could have anything he wanted, you know. And he had a good life. He lived in the palace. He received the best education, ate the best food, uh, had the best clothing, you know, and enjoyed power. And, but one day, he decided to give all of that up, to give up everything he had in order to pursue a purpose, a cause. And because he did that, you and I know the name Moses. If he had remained in the palace and just fulfilled his duties and enjoyed his privileges, you and I probably would never have heard the name Moses. So the fact that we have heard his name is because he made a very radical change in his life when he discovered his purpose. And that is what he was here on earth for. Okay, so he wrote a psalm, and that psalm gives us a lot of wisdom on what we do with our lives. So let's read the scriptures together, and I would like to invite you to stand together if you are able to, and read from Psalm 90, as we have it from the New King James Version on the screen. And as you read, you can see the contrast, sharp contrast between how grand God is and how small man is. And you can also see some echoes of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. After all, Moses wrote this. Moses wrote Genesis, okay? So let's read God's word. Lord... You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. And like a watch in the night, you carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath, we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work 
of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. May God bless the reading of His Word. Father, we thank You that Your Word has the power to speak to us. And we invite Your Holy Spirit now to speak to us powerfully and personally so that as we examine our lives, how we live, and as we look towards this new year, we will receive instruction, direction, guidance, and wisdom. For your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So, there are four parts to this psalm, and the first two verses talks about God, the eternal and then verses 3 to 6 talks about man, the ephemeral. And that is not a com common word. It means transient, short-lived. It means, you know, just here for a short time. It's a sharp contrast between the eternal and the ephemeral. It rhymes as well. Right. Man under wrath is described in very depressing detail from verses 7 to 12. Very poetic as well. And then we have the God of mercy in the last few verses, 13 to 17. So the first two verses lays out the direction of where Moses is going. When he said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place all for, in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth forever, you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So, he talks of God as the everlasting to everlasting, the eternal God. And he connects that to himself and his people. In the very first verse where he says, Lord, you, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, who is God, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. In other words, God, you have been our home in the brevity of our lives, in our short-lived lives, we have lived in you. You have been our home. And the word refuge is also, trans uh, the dwelling place also translated refuge. And the same metaphor is found in the blessing of Moses, Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Don't you love the poetic expressions, you know? It's not just arms, but everlasting arms. He is our refuge. And Psalm 73 verse 3, be my strong refuge or rock of habitation to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. So the first two verses lays out the direction. He says, God, you are eternal. And more than that, even though we are temporal, we are ephemeral, but we find our dwelling place in you. In other words, our connection is to you. We who are transient, who are short-lived, are connected to the one who is eternal. Can you say amen? Amen. So he lays out his, the direction he's going, and then he gives us very depressing details about how short-lived our lives are. Man, the ephemeral, verses 3 to 6, transient. He says, you turn man to destruction. Now, the, the word can be translated dust as well. You turn man back to dust and say, return, O children of man. Return, O children of man. And the uh, Children of man can also be translated sons of Adam because the word man there is Adam in the Hebrew, okay? And this was caused by our first parents. 
in the Garden of Eden, when they chose to disobey God, rebel against Him, even though God gave them essentially only one command, not ten commandments. One commandment. What's that commandment? Don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. That's all. Just one commandment. Now, how many of you, you give a children only one commandment? Right? Cannot be. Lah. I'm sure there's 10 or 20, right? Do your homework. Wake up by this time, you know. Wash your shoes, you know. And so many commandments. Now, Adam and Eve had only one commandment to obey. And they chose to disobey. So, the judgment came. In the sweat of your face, Genesis 3.19, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So, this is very humbling, right? When God made Adam, God made Adam from the dust of the earth, right? It's basically dust. And when you and I die, we will return back to the dust from which we came. All the elements will disintegrate and, you know, thank God you and I are biodegradable. Huh? <laughs> we will not pollute the environment. <laughs> okay? But there are certain parts of people that are not biodegradable and I, I had a very, you know, uh, eye-opening uh, revelation when the funeral uh, caretaker took me behind the crematorium, <laughs> behind the entrance, you know, and uh, next to the, you know, that, the oven, so to speak. <laughs> and then on the trays, he showed me there, all the spare parts left behind that could not be turned back to dust, <laughs> right? And that is hip joint, <laughs> knee joint, you know, screws, and plates, you know, so many parts, right? Uh, well, the fact is that those parts lasted longer than the people, okay? It just shows that, you know, we are all dust. And when you go to a crematorium, uh, don't breathe so deeply because you could be breathing in another person <laughs> because the dust... <laughs> It's all in the air, okay? It's not very nice to think about it, but uh, it is a fact that, you know, we, we basically return to dust, okay? And so it's a very humbling thing to know that no matter how great a man is, even if he is a multi-billionaire, he is a king, he will return to dust in the same way as the pauper, the beggar. So we are all level before God because of what our first parents did. And Isaiah 40 verse 15 says, Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Now, this is the context that if God is to weigh all the civilizations, the glorious uh, Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire that lasted a thousand years, and even the present day superpower and the rising superpower, which you know what country I'm talking about. Okay? If you put all of that on the weighing scale, God says it's just like dust to Him, really. It's just dust that you can blow it away. It's gone. Right? That is how man compares to the eternal. And our existence is just a blip in eternity. Because Psalm 90 verse 4 says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. A watch is three hours. So a thousand years to God is just three hours. You know? if that's, if, and that puts our time frame our lives into the context of eternity. If that doesn't humble us, I don't know what will humble us. You know, a thousand years. How many of us can even live a hundred years? 
and you have to live 100 years 10 times over. And God says it's just one hour to him. You know, it's just a watch, right? Now, when the pe people in the first century, just like 30 years or so after Christ came and went back to heaven, they were already asking, when is Jesus coming back? How come it's so long? And they were scoffing. And they said, well, when is he coming back? Everything is the same since our fathers died. And then Peter says in 1 Peter 3, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So, you know, God's not in a hurry. He has plenty of time. Okay? So you say, God, please, please hurry. I need your help. Please help me now. And God says, just give me a minute. <laughs> one hour for God is 1,000 years. So if God says, give me a minute, you calculate how long that is. All right. It's just a joke. It's not found in the Bible. <laughs> All right. So, but what it tells us is this. We are always in a hurry. But God is never in a hurry because He has plenty of time to fulfill His purposes. Can you say amen? Amen. He's the sovereign Lord. So we see the sharp contrast between our lack of time and the fact that God has all the time because to Him, actually, time doesn't exist. You say, huh? Really? Okay, that's another sermon, so I don't want to give you too much boring details, okay? Uh, but... We can see here that because we are so short-lived, there are different expressions that are very common in the Bible. And one very common expression is Isaiah 40, verse 6 to 7. All flesh is what? Is what? Grass. Yeah, I picked this grass from, my, from the front of my house yesterday. It was still green. And today, it is turning brown. It was just yesterday that this was very, very green. I love the green grass, by the way. You know, my, my treat is just to sit, you know, and look at the blue sky and the green grass. You know, that to me is the best enjoyment, and if the cool breeze blows, that completes it, <laughs> so to speak, right? So I, I, I love the grass. I picked up this grass, and today it's already brown, and in a few days' time, it will be like this, all dried up. And this is the picture of our lives. We start our lives like this, green, lovely, and we end our lives more like this. <laughs> Isn't it depressing to think that, you know, this is our fate? Yeah, but this is a picture of man. We are ephemeral. We are short-lived. And this is a reality, but why is that so? Why does it have to be that way? And he explains and he goes on to the next part, verse 7 to 12. And that is because man is under wrath. We are ephemeral. We are short-lived. We are transient because we live under the wrath of God. Verse 7, for we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. Now, God told the first, our first parents, Adam and Eve, don't eat from this tree in the middle of the garden because in the day that you eat it, you shall what? You shall die. But the serpent said, you shall not surely die. And they believe the serpent. The serpent said, your eyes will be open. You will become like God. And they believe the serpent. And as a result, man is under judgment. And the judgment is death. Romans 5.12 Therefore, 
Just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Now, if anyone argues with you and say, you know, how do you know all men are sinners? You know, I'm a good man. Okay, you just ask them, how long can you live? Will there come a day when you will die? So yeah, everyone dies. Why? Why does everyone die? Whether they are red, yellow, black, and white. (laughs) Everyone dies. Why? Because everyone is a sinner. This is the same thing that we all inherited from our first parents. There's something in our DNA that starts to, you know, go haywire very quickly. And from the time we are born, actually, we are starting to die. You know, it's, it's depressing. If you know, if you understand the biology, so to speak. So, that is how we are. That's how we know we are sinners. And not just that. God never intended it to be that way, by, by the way. You know, God never intended for man to live such short lives. Okay. It was because of the judgment of sin. And verse 7, he piles it on. You have sent out iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. You mean there are such a thing as a secret sin? I thought God sees all the sin. There's nothing secret to Him, right? Well, it is secret to us. Because sometimes we are so good at rationalizing our sins. You know? Everyone does it anyway. Right? So it should be alright. You know? I'm only human. So we don't even see it as a sin. So in that sense, it becomes a secret sin to us. Because we hide it even from ourselves. And of course, you cannot hide sin for long. David tried to hide his sin of adultery and ended up committing murder to cover up the previous sin. And one Sin leads to another, and you know, he paid dearly. One evening of pleasure cost him years of misery. His own son tried to kill him and take his throne. So the psalmist says, You know, we are under judgment, and because we are under judgment, that's why our lives are so short lived. And, and even though it's short lived, it's even more depressing than that. Verse 9. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a what? Like a sigh. We don't go out with a shout. <laughs> we go out with a, sh- uh, with a sigh. And the days of our lives are 70 years. And by reason of strength, they are 80 years. And if you live in Penang, maybe 90 years. Huh? With the sunshine, you know the sea behind, uh, around you, the hill to climb, you know, and the good hawker food, <laughs> and laksa being the eighth most healthy dish in the world, <laughs> right? <laughs> you might even go to 90, but yet your boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. That's a description of time. Before we fly away, we notice that time flies. How many of you ever said that or your friends said that to you? Time flies. Come on. I notice the older people are waving. <laughs> Younger people, you know, I can't wait. Why so long? You know, time is very slow, you know, when you're young. <laughs> when you pass the halfway mark, it speeds up, you know. <laughs> Just two days ago, Pastor Lydia asked me, my wife asked me, in the, we were out, out in our, our like, outside store, okay, next to the garden, and she asked me, how long has this sewing machine been sitting down here? You see, I brought the machine up from, uh, from my father's house after my mother passed away. And, you know, because the, inside the house is so crowded, so I put it outside. So I said, oh, maybe about 10 years, uh, because we, we moved to the house, and it's been there almost from the beginning. So, actually, it's not 10, it's 11. <laughs> I lost count, okay? Because the time just flies and, you know, you, you take a job and you work hard in your job and you blink your eyes and 10 years have gone by, you know, one thing, you know, what happened? How come? Life is so fast and it, it tends to speed up. 
you know, as you pass the halfway mark. And uh, then if life is so short and it goes by so quickly, then what is this life for? What is this for? It's a, it's a question of purpose. And there is no purpose without context, which we will go to, and the context will be given as we connect these next two verses to the start of the psalm. Who knows the power of your anger? Now, this is where he comes to start reflecting. You know, when he thinks about, Moses thinks about, okay, God, you're eternal, but unfortunately, you know, we are so short-lived. And that's because we live under your wrath, right? But he reflects further. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Now, we don't like to talk about wrath, okay? Because today, people like to hear about the love of God, you know? God loves you, you know? Uh, and if you tell them, you know, that God is holy and one day He has to judge the sins of man, they don't like to hear it. But the wrath of God is because of the righteous judgment of God. It's not that God is angry for no reason, you know. You just, he just got up on the wrong side of the bed, you know, and then he just basically, you know, just throws his tantrum. No, it is a righteous judgment because he's a holy God and we have broken his holy law, so he has to respond correctly. So in a sense that, you know, if we do not understand that God is holy, we will never need His mercy. Why would we ever need mercy if God is not holy? Because we can never offend Him. You know? Whatever you do, He will say, it's okay, boys will be boys. You know? uh, just do whatever you like. You know? There's never a need for God's mercy if He's not holy. So holiness and love are two sides of the same person. Okay? And they have to coexist so to speak, in perfect harmony. And if God is not holy, then we don't need His mercy and He did not need to send His Son to come and suffer on earth and die a cruel death. It is only because of the righteous wrath of God that could only be satisfied by a sinless sacrifice and that is His only Son, Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh for that purpose. So, because of that, we receive mercy. So, even in wrath, there is mercy. Now, what is Moses saying here in this very, very difficult to translate verse, verse 11, where he says, Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Well, NIRV translate this way. Who knows how powerful your anger is? It is as great as the respect we should have for you. It is as great, in other words, your wrath is as great as the respect that we should have for you. In other words, the wrath, the righteous judgment of God should inspire us to fear and reverence Him more. Okay? So, if only we could see God as He really is, we would give Him the reverence and the respect that he is due. You can say amen. Amen. But there is a problem here. Most of the time, God's glory is hidden. We cannot see God as he really is because, you know, if he doesn't hide his glory, we will not survive. We cannot withstand his glory. Now, maybe a good way to help us see this is that what is the most glorious object that is in our visible universe? What is the most glorious object? The most, the brightest object is the sun, right? There's no comparison, okay? So, the sun is the brightest object and can you actually look at the sun? You cannot. Even if you look at it for a few seconds, it can cause permanent damage, right? It can literally cook the cells in your retina. So we can only look at the sun in the morning or evening when it is covered largely by clouds or by the atmosphere. 
and we can enjoy. Now, how many of you enjoy sunsets? Come on, wave to me. All the romantic people, okay, yeah. Don't look at it too long, okay? <laughs> because it can damage your eyes, even though it is filtered so heavily by the atmosphere because the sun is really, really powerful. And, uh, you know, this is something that uh, I experienced personally uh, on the 26th of December. How many of you saw the eclipse of the sun? Come on, wave to me, all right? About five, six people near. You see, the rest of us either didn't know or actually could not be aware of it. Now, uh, I was up in the USM with the astronomy club people during lunchtime, and at one o'clock was the, the peak, right? So, you know, there were 100 people there. You know, I mean, this is the once-in-a-20-year event, right? Uh, and there were only about 100 people there, you know? It's really pathetic, you know, right, in a sense. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, this is what I saw on the telescope, okay? The, wait, uh, this previous one, all right? Now, it's a reverse image, by the way, because uh, the sun was actually, uh, the moon was actually coming from the right, okay? So this uh, special equipment kind of like flipped it around, huh? And so at the peak of the coverage, it was 93%. That means only 7% of the sun was not covered. And there was one bright line on top of the sun. The rest is just the moon. I mean, the moon is covering the sun, right? So one bright line on top. That's all. But because it was a clear day, there was no clouds in the sky, I looked around and it was brighter than any rainy day, okay? When there's no eclipse, right? When the sun is fully out, not covered, right? But in this case, it's 97% covered, uh, 93%. That means only 7% of the sun was not covered. And it was bright and hot, okay? And we were all sweating, okay? And we couldn't even look at the sun, even though it was only 7% exposed, okay? So... We had to use special equipment like this. And even then, at the end of the day, I was feeling, my eyes was feeling a bit funny, you know, it's like, are this really good, you know, or not? Because I was looking at it, you know, and really admiring, you know, the, the, the beauty, you know, absolute beauty. And so, most of the time, God has to hide His glory from us. Because if He did not, we would be blind and we would be consumed. There will be nothing left. So God has to hide His glory out of His mercy. He has to hide His glory from us. And only once in a while... He allows us to see a glimpse of His glory. Very special people get to see that. The prophet Isaiah saw the glory of God in a vision. I think it was uh, Isaiah 6. And he said he saw God sitting on His throne. The temple is going to die. I'm a terrible sinner. You see, we only know how sinful we are when we see how holy God is. Can I say amen? Amen. When He gives us a glimpse of His glory, His holiness, we really cannot stand in His presence. And so, in, in light of all this, Moses is asking God for one thing. And this is, let's go back to two verses uh, before, in verse 12. He says, when when he recognizes, you know, how, how serious God's wrath is, when he says, you know, as the fear of you, so is your wrath, okay? Or it's as great, your anger is as great as the respect we should have for you. And then he, he says, teach us to what? Teach us to what? Number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, if this is the life that we are destined to live because of the fall, because of the judgment, 
If the fact that we have to live under your wrath and that our bodies are decaying, if that is how we are to live a very short life, then God, please teach us how to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, how do we get wisdom? How do we get wisdom? Proverbs 9 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So, in other words, if you do not fear God, you will never get His wisdom. You may be very wise and street smart and clever and cunning, but you will make many foolish decisions in life which you will regret. This wisdom comes when we acknowledge who God is, when we fear Him, when we acknowledge His holiness. So teach us the number of days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that we may apply our heart to wisdom. Now, what does it mean the number of days? Huh? That means every day you mark your calendar, is it? One less day left, you know, every day depressing, you know, just... Huh? This, is, uh, this came in such a stark way to me. I, I, was, a I was a teenager and we were camping in, in Gunting Highlands before the casino was built. And, you know, we were in the jungle, and there was one bungalow, and we visited the bungalow. There was an old man, you know, in the bungalow, and he's, he was there, and he welcomed us, you know. And I saw that, you know, the old man had a calendar, you know, the Chinese calendar, you know, one, one day, one page, right? Every day, he would tear one page off, and he would roll it into a very small round ball, and he will keep it in a bowl. And so I saw all the little balls there, you know. Yeah. He was counting his days. <laughs> the more balls there is in the bowl, the less his life is. <laughs> you know, it's like very depressing, you know. Is that how we count our days? No, that is not what it means. Numbering our days involves seeing life as God described it. In other words, we must acknowledge that God is eternal. We are mortal he is righteous, we are sinful. Only when we see ourselves, only when we see God as He really is, can we see ourselves as we really are and then live as we should. Okay, so he's, He prays for wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is doing the right thing. I mean, often, you know, children will ask the parents, can I do this? Is it, why? Why is it wrong? Ah? No. And maybe that's the wrong question. The better question is, is it wise? Is it the wise thing to do? What are the consequences if I do this? Is it wise? So he's asking for wisdom. We need wisdom to live in a way that is pleasing to God. And Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 says, See then, you walk carefully, circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So that means wisdom involves understanding what is God's will and not wasting time, okay? So a heart of wisdom will not waste time in life on pursuits that have no eternal value. In other words, a wise person will not waste his life on something that has no eternal value, that is only for a short time. A wise person will live a life that is surrendered to God and use time to do His will. That's what Paul is explaining. And a wise heart recognizes and realizes we cannot live independent of God, that we must depend on God in the same way that the Israelites receive manna every morning, completely trusting our future to Him. And this fear of God and the wisdom that comes will give us the courage to live each day to the fullest for the glory of God and for the purposes of God. Can you say amen? amen. So, he's asking a question. Moses is saying, if our life is so short, what is the meaning of it? What is the meaning of it? Give us wisdom so that we will live with meaning and purpose. And here, we need to understand that meaning and purpose comes with context. Now, uh, Pastor Lydia said, was clearing the garden and rather the store outside and she picked this up and she said, 
Do you still want this or not? I said, it's very useful, no? Huh? What is this? I'm sure you all know what's this, right? Okay. But by itself, you cannot do much. Is that true? I mean, you can adapt it for many purposes. I mean, you can kind of like, you know, poke the ground with it, right? And uh, you can wash it and put it on your table and use it as a plate, you know? Right? It's a new cafe in town, you know? <laughs> hey, it's not too bad, right? Some, there's, one, there's one cafe that they, they serve you food when I mean, you sit on the toilet, you know, seat. <laughs> this is better, okay? <laughs> so, but you know, this, this blade will never achieve its full power until it is connected to something, right? What is that? It's a long handle, okay? Because by itself, it can't do much. But when it is connected to the long handle, it can even dig your grave, <laughs> right? It's really powerful. It can dig a, foot six, uh, a, a hole six foot underneath, right? So, but it, has, it cannot do anything like that if it's just by itself, right? It has to be connected. So connection gives purpose. If you know what this is connected to, you know what it's for. Are you with me? You know, you know its purpose, right? Now, so I said, let's keep it. Then she said, she possibly took this out and said, all right, you want this or not? I look at it, I say, what is that? I don't even know what is that. Okay, so if I don't know what is that, what will I do? I might throw it away, right? Because I don't know what is that. And then one day I realized, oh, that was for that purpose, all right? And I would have wasted it. So, so I kept it and I, I'm still figuring out what is that. Now, <laughs> what is that can only be answered if I know what it was connected to, okay? If you know, tell me, okay? <laughs> I, I still don't know, right? So, but it is the connection that explains the purpose of an object, okay? And the meaning of it. So, context gives us purpose, okay? The connection or the context gives us purpose. So, how does this connect with the psalm? The very first verse, Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. God, you have been our home. In other words, from generation to generation, we have been living in you. It's our connection to you that gives us meaning in life. And you are the everlasting to the everlasting. So it is our connection with the everlasting God that gives us true meaning and purpose in life. Can you say amen? If you recognize that connection, then you will begin to discover your purpose because purpose requires connection if we get disconnected with the one who is everlasting to everlasting we lose our purpose we become like an object with no connection and we lose our purpose in that sense so Purpose requires connection, and the context is really our short life, you know. Our short life only has context, perspective, when viewed as part of or connected to the everlasting God. Otherwise, it's just a blip. 70, 80, 90 years will just pass, and we disappear. So it's only by connection that we understand our Purpose. You will never figure out the true and highest purpose of your short life on earth unless and until you see it within the larger context, the bigger picture of the eternal God and of eternity. Now, so what is this for? Hmm? I'm sure you all know what's this for, right? But it can be used for many other things. Right? I can use it to tie my shoe. Right? It can be adapted to be a shoelace. I can put it around my neck and use it as a decoration. 
right? And if the cat is naughty, I can use it too. Okay. <laughs> Don't do it to your cat though. <laughs> right? But that's not its highest value. Its highest value and purpose is only when it is connected to something else. And what is that? It is to my phone. Okay? So when it is connected to my phone, it fulfills its purpose. Now let me ask you, does the cable exist for the phone? Or does the phone exist for the cable? Hello? You say both. If there's no such thing as a phone, would there be a cable? Yeah. So the cable actually exists for the phone, right? But you know what? Some of us think that God exists for us. <laughs> when actually we should exist for Him. Because our real purpose in life comes to us only when we are connected to the, the one who is greater, the one who is eternal, okay? So, this is the issue that we face. When the creature is connected to the cre uh, creator, the creature finds purpose. And then even boring, repetitive tasks can have meaning. You know, Moses says, you know, our life is filled with frustration because we live under the judgment of God. And you know what? One of the judgments of God is that life has many repetitive, boring tasks. Are you with me? How many of the things that you do every day you fully enjoy? There are some things that you just have to do, right? It is part of living in a fallen world, okay? So, three days ago, uh, uh, early this week, Pastor Lydia told me, he said, hey, please go upstairs and clean the room. Go and vacuum the room, you know? It's very dusty. Our children are coming next week. And I told her, can't I vacuum it next week? If I vacuum now, next week will be dusty again. Right? <laughs> and it's true because my house, the upstairs is a wooden house. So the planks overlap a little bit and there are gaps and the wind, when the wind blows, the dust comes in. So, you know, even if I vacuum now, next week it will be dusty again. So I say, why can't I do it then? She says, no, you better do it now. Okay, la, do it now. La, okay, la, if... You know, a wife says, do it, must do it. Now. So, <laughs> so I went home and, you know, I was pretty, kind of like, you know, not happy. So I, you know, took the vacuum and I vacuum, vacuum, vacuum. And halfway through vacuuming, I suddenly had one thought. And that is this particular room I, I was cleaning, you know. I mean, there are lots of gaps. Huh? There's a lot of uh, places where the dust settles. And, and some of the dust has been there for a year or more, okay. So as I was doing that, Suddenly, I, I remember, oh, yes, my daughter and son-in-law and my two-year-old grandson is going to sleep in this room. And he has an allergy to dust. So, as I was vacuuming, I just was thinking, ah, I'm going to see my grandson. <laughs> so, the boring task became meaningful. Because of the connection to the purpose, you see? So, when we discover our connection, then we discover our purpose. And our stories get told in that sense. Now, uh, I'd like to get uh, a child to come and help me. Huh? Jaden, come. Yeah, even if, before I call you, I know he will come. Right? <laughs> Let's welcome Jaden. Come. Okay. Jaden, how old are you? Do you mean last, last year or this year? Oh, see, see how philosophical people can be, right? Okay, this year. Eight. Eight, okay. Jaden, come, come to the, the light here, right? Now, I want you to, to tell me. Okay, come over here. What is this and what is this for? Radio. Okay, good try. One more try. Tape. Tape, okay. You can see something inside, right? But what is this tape for? <laughs> he doesn't know, okay. Well, 
Believe it or not, a long time ago, before you were born, we used to put this little box into a larger box that is like this size, and then it will go inside, and then it will, you know, it makes a lot of sound. And then after a while, an image will come out on the television. Oh, and we get to see a movie. Oh, today you don't need that, right? You just take your mobile phone out, you just press a switch, a button, and you get to see a movie, right? But in those days, we had to use a tape like that. It's called VHS. I don't even know what it means, by the way. <laughs> VHS, okay? And there are many stories inside here to be told. But unfortunately, those stories cannot be told anymore because there's no more VHS player. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot find one that's working, okay? All right? So as a result, these stories can never be told because this tape cannot be connected. Can I read it out? Cannot, it's locked inside, okay? Oh, watch the show, tell a story. Problem is that I cannot watch the show anymore. You watched the show last time? Ah, last time. Write it down in a book and tell, okay. So obviously, he, you can see the struggle, right? In a sense that, you know, the story is locked inside this, but there is no connection. And the connection now is myself <laughs> and my fading memory. Thank you, Jaden, right, for helping us. Thank you. So here we are, trying to find purpose in life. And we have lost our connection. And because we are trying to make purpose of our life apart from the connection to the everlasting and everlasting, to the one who is our dwelling place. Well, it's depressing, but it doesn't end that way because Moses ends on a bright note. God of mercy, verse 13 to 17. And he says, Return, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. Oh, satisfy us with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Yeah, we have seen a lot of evil. Life is difficult. But in spite of the fact that we live under the judgment of the fall from our first parents and our own sin, we also live under covenant. Can you say amen? And because of the covenant, you and I can have joy. The work of our hands can still be meaningful. And that's why he prays this prayer. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Even the limitations and frustrations of this life and the boring, meaningless, repetitious, repetitious tasks that we do every day can have meaning when it is connected to a larger purpose, a larger context. Can you, see, can you say amen for that? Amen? So God can bless the work of our hands, and this is the key, and that is only if we could see God as He really is we would give him the reverence he is due. Huh? This is the key. Giving God the reverence he is due and gaining a heart of wisdom because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to live our lives within the larger context of who God is. So let's pray this prayer as we conclude. Are you ready? Let's go. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, that we may live our lives within the context of the everlasting, His will and His purposes. Let's pray. come to the end of this year, 
As you think about this coming year, how will you live your life differently? What will you give your time to, your energy to? What will achieve something that is eternal and not just for a while? What areas will you get involved in that will fulfill God's eternal purpose and that will please God and do His will? Let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Because when we get connected and when we stay connected to the eternal, we will begin to live our lives differently. We will gain a heart of wisdom. As we sing this song in closing, let's allow God to speak to us. As it says, give me vision to see things like you do. Give me wisdom. Let's stand together.